What's up everyone and welcome to episode 39 of the Justin Insight Podcast. Thanks for joining me once again. My name is Tim Birkbeck. I am a writer. I am a lover of films, music and wrestling. Still can't say that word. Wrestling. Wrestling. What? I, I think it's because I talk too fast and I struggle with it. But anyway, the most important thing about this is that I'm your body and vehicle through this podcast. Um, I'm recording my little intro bit a little bit earlier than usual just because had a bit of editing to do with the the sound and stuff on this week so it's taking me a little longer so I didn't want to rush it um so yeah take doing this on a on a Sunday afternoon uh before heading out to Brighton where my band the Divorcee are playing with Frontier so yeah really looking forward to the show tonight um and I will tell you all about that for next week's episode how and I'm sure it's going to be pretty rad cuz if you're unaware of Frontier, they are fucking sick, and I uh, got the chance to see them at Art Tangent, and they blew my mind. So seeing them in a small venue in Brighton tonight is just going to be nuts. Um, apart from that, this week I went to my first ever Lucha Forever uh, show in Southampton. It's a pretty cool show, nothing like massively stand out apart from uh, the six-man uh, six tag, uh, which was Pete Dunne, Chris Brooks, and Speedball Mike Bailey against uh, the Aussie Open of uh, Mike Davis and Carl Fletcher with Travis Banks. Um, some really nuts spots on there. Uh, Mike Bailey did a moonsault off the balcony, which was cool. Uh, and just, yeah, it was just really cool. But the, again, I'm, I'm finding this issue with, with wrestling at the moment that some of the audience members are just absolute cretins like there's been a whole thing on the internet recently about um somebody uh shouting out at fight club pros project mayhem to millie mckenzie uh inappropriate things uh the show i was at they were chanting this about a guy being a pussy which was just pathetic um and then just this last week there's been uh things about I remember the crowd chanting sort of homophobic things towards Will Ospreay because of uh, the attire he was wearing or something like that. But it's just, there's a whole thing about the wrestling community meant to be this inclusive environment. And I know it is only just a, a few people, but it needs to be stand out. And in my opinion, the the audience should be policing these kind of things. And I, I hope that at these shows where this stuff is happening, it is being called out. Like, I... I don't claim to be one of these people that goes to every single wrestling show under the sun like some people you see but yeah it's just it's just upsetting to see for something that's meant to be for, well for me personally is somewhere that I just I, I like to just blow off steam and enjoy myself so to have that kind of bought into it is sad so yeah hopefully we don't see much more of that in those environments but that's yeah um also this week uh been watching a couple of films so uh the long-awaited return of the film section will be on this show after uh the chat with my guest this week um but i will say i went and saw mother uh last night and it was fucking intense so looking forward to kind of telling you guys about that and going into that a bit deeper um the other film uh, i'm going to discuss is a film called uh, the red turtle which is a studio ghibli film um so yeah it's just going to be the two of those for for this week um but yeah, that's enough about me. Um, on to this week's guest, and it's another episode that we have done in association with AlreadyHeard.com. Uh, AlreadyHeard.com offers you the latest news, reviews and features of all your favourite uh, alternative bands. has some great writers on there, including myself. Um, so please head over to AlreadyHeard.com and check out what the guys are doing over there. It's really cool, and they allow me the odd opportunity to do cool little chats like this. Um, and this week's guest is uh, with guitarist and vocalist of uh, Brighton Three Priest Tiger Cub, as uh, Jamie Hall. Uh, we discussed the band's new EP, how it's a stepping stone for them working towards their second full length. Uh, discussed them sort of playing the bigger shows. They recently did Reading and Leeds, um, and did a tour with uh, Royal Blood and uh, Pulled Apart by Horses. We also kind of get into sort of what makes Jamie tick, what kind of his outpouring the lyrics are and so on and so forth so yeah really enjoyed this one it was nice to kind of talk to a band that maybe uh some people may not expect me to listen to uh, obviously people who know me personally I've, I'm into my heavy music and obviously I play in a heavy heavy band and Tiger Cub are a bit um I wouldn't say on the pop element of it but obviously they they obviously get a lot of airplay on the radio and so on and so forth so and they're 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 kind of pushing boundaries and that's why I like them that's why I kind of 
check it, check them out in the first place. And the new EP, I really, really dig. I obviously I discussed that with Jamie. So yeah, if you get a chance, go check them out. Um, they're actually doing a UK tour pretty soon. I'll get into the dates and so forth um, at the end of the chat. But I'm, I'm babbling on. So please sit back, relax, enjoy the chat I have with Jamie. And I'll see you on the other side. Cool. Right. So uh, this week on the Justin Insight podcast, I'm joined by uh, vocalist and guitarist of Brighton Three Piece Tiger Cub, uh, Jamie Hall. Jamie, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How how is everything in the world of Tiger Cub at the moment? Everything's pretty good. It's quite busy. <laughs> yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah, we haven't really stopped since like our our album came out last year. So it's nice to actually have like. We've got like September off pretty much before we go go back out. And yeah. So it's um yeah busy, but it's nice to have a break and like start writing again and just start thinking about what we're gonna do next year and stuff like that. Mm. Just like gather our thoughts and you know. Well, obviously, I think as busy as you are, I think great opportunities are kind of coming your way because obviously you've just done obviously Reading and Leeds, and I think from the reaction that I've seen on the internet for from your guys' set, it, everybody seemed to, to be really receptive. So how was the experience for you guys? It was really good. Um, it's the first like festival of that size that we've done. Yeah. Like, we've already been part of a production that big. And like we've all like been to Redden and Leeds and stuff in the past. Mm. As punters, but we've never played there. So it was a bit like... It's a little... A little bit surreal just being able to get to go behind the scenes and stuff <laughs> yeah. and like, yeah, all kind of like the main stage and shit to get uh get credited and stuff. And yeah, yeah. Main stage, so like there's there's like people in famous bands and famous comedians and stuff just fucking wandering around. <laughs> yeah. It's surreal, you know. Um but like the the show the shows were great. Um we we were quite nervous about them because we're we're playing a couple of new songs now in our set that are on our EP that's coming out yeah. this month. And they have like keys in them and like a little bit of um, like a couple of samples that were triggering live. And as a band, we've never done that before. Mm. And um, I like to have done something like 150, 200 times before <laughs> yeah. you do it on stage, you know? So yeah, like I know. I get what you mean. Fresh freeze up and you know you don't start thinking about what you're doing it should be like muscle memory you know just recall it yeah but i was kind of shitting it because i've never played keys live before okay and i bought this like 20 quid yamaha like (laughs) brilliant it's from like 1979 and that someone sold me it for 20 quid (laughs) like i was really stoked about that but it's a really old piece of kit and it's like some of the knobs like make noises and stuff like, okay yeah, and the volume up's a bit dusty and dirty it hasn't been pat tested and stuff so i was like oh kind of shit in my pants a little bit about, about the show <laughs> like, it could all fucking go wrong but it didn't we did the set all went well it was like way more people than i was expecting there to be yeah in the tent like it wasn't it wasn't a full tent by any means it was, it was probably about 400 people in okay like, 800 crap tent so about half full and um for us that's great because we always have high hopes but low expectations going yeah to any show we don't expect anything we know it's like a long build for us and i think we were clashing with like paris on the main stage so it's like oh well you know if we can get a couple of people down who give a shit yeah and that's all for us and there was about there was about 100 150 200 people there that were like fucking, I really want to see Tiger Cub set, I really want to hear this song, and they, like, knew the tunes and shit. Yeah. And then, like, the rest were just, like, kind of casual punters that came in and they didn't walk out. So we felt like, you know, it was a real big triumph for us. Yeah. I was going to say, that's got to be a a win in itself, surely. Yeah, it was cool, man, because, you know, when we're kind of, like, really small fish in a big pond. Yeah. That we're getting these sort of bookings and stuff. So you're like, you know, we're competing with bands that have sold loads of records and have a massive fan base and have like loads of money behind them. 
not that I've got a chip on my shoulder. <laughs> you know, it's like fuck. Like we have to, we have to try and aspire to be as good as these bands, and also we're kind of competing for share of, you know, the audience that are at the festival. You know. Yeah. It's like it's quite, it's cool, but it's quite intense. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Well, obviously, you you mentioned obviously the EP, and I, I want to touch on that in a minute. But obviously, as I mentioned, the show is called Just an Insight, so we like to kind of uh, strip it back to to basics and kind of get an insight into how the bands obviously begin and their kind of origins. So, if you can give me a brief history of how Tiger Cub came to be, what the band that we see today. Okay. Um, well, I moved down to Brighton when I was eighteen from Sunderland. Mm. Um, I went to study at the University of Sussex, and I met I met Jalex there. And yeah. That was in that was in two thousand nine, so that was like nearly ten years ago now. Um, and then me and Jals were playing together, various in, different like incarnations of the band, like writing writing tunes nonstop and just being generally like a shit band that no one cared about. And then. And then, like, our bass player that we had, he left. And then um, Jimmy, our bass player, is like, he's a guy in Brighton that everyone knows and everyone loves. Right, okay. I'm sure he won't mind me saying that. <laughs> um, and he works at a studio in Brighton called Brighton Electric, which is, like, it's a rehearsal studio and a recording studio. Right, okay. A lot of, a lot of musicians um, at, like, all levels that's not the one that's like right on the beach is it um no it's not it's like it's a bit further in town there Uh, is one that's right on the beach i think that's like studio 284 oh that's what i'm thinking of yeah that's that's a good studio as well um but anyway i knew we knew jimmy from working there and rehearsing there and then like i just got pissed with him one night and i was like would you ever would you ever consider joining said yes and then he joined the band and then he he really brought like he brought the heavy side to it yeah setting up in the practice room when we were like trying him out to see if he was if it was gonna work he just had like all of these like fuzz pedals and stuff yeah real like wall of sound like just vibe that he brought to it and he made me and james play a little bit heavier he really it became tiger cup Mm. I guess as we would know it now yeah it was in like 2012 2013 and then yeah like we started doing shows and then um we met we met the Royal Blood guys Mike and Benj um and, and like we went on two of them and then like the industry started giving a bit more of a shit about us <laughs> yeah like a deal and stuff and management and all that all the industry latched on and then it's just been like a just a brutal uh harrowing struggle yeah from <laughs> <laughs> then on you know well i wanted to kind of mention obviously you you mentioned the kind of he- playing the sort of heavier side of things and for, for me you're a band I, I kind of feel you as kind of a crossover band and I, I hope you don't take that in the wrong way in the fact that you can you appeal to got guys like myself that are into the the more heavier side of things but then you can be played on radio one and people will still dig it kind of thing like yeah. so what going into obviously if if we kind of fast forward a little bit and go to the first album like well, was there a conscious effort to kind of think right we want to keep melodies but we also want to play hard or has it just been a combination of the way you've written has just come naturally. Um, I guess it's a bit of both. I am very like conscious of the direction of the band and how we're sounding and like how it's coming across to people. Mm. It has been, like a, a it has been a slow burn for Tiger Cup, so there's been a lot of trial and error. Yeah. So there's like there's the natural development of like my songwriting and how we pull ideas together in the studio and like we. We were mainly with the record. We were we were desperately trying to get away from people saying that we sounded like Nirvana and the Pixies. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, I get that. I love those bands, but like it just started to become like 
the only thing that was like interesting about us to people was like they sound exactly like these bands and I feel like it kind of stunted us a little bit that we didn't have our own identity yeah so just we were really focused on that and um there's like there's two sides of it like we really wanted to release like a cool record that had a, what what would appear to feel to us like a couple of risks um sonically um that there would be a development of what we already have but at the same time you are always aware that like you know the labels put time money and effort in and like you need to sell records and obviously like we're all we are ambitious and i'm very ambitious so i want to find a larger audience so like it does it does come into your mind where it's like right you know we we need to have like a a, a single that's gonna have like a big chorus of pause yeah and it's not like you know you don't say like motherfucker in it <laughs> you know, and it's not like brutally heavy um we always try and like add weight to whatever we do uh, it's always it's like we try to get it in the rhythm section though like the way led zeppelin do it yeah like fucking big drums big bass and then the guitars kind of like they just sort of sit in the background you know i like mm. them on the background so yeah i guess it was kind of a conscious effort to you know keep keep it palatable and not go too far mm. into left field on the record it's like a bit of nature nurture with it you know? yeah and you mentioned obviously the the comparisons with Nirvana and the and the Pixies and something that a tag that I kind of have seen lumped with you guys quite a lot, which personally I hate and I, I don't know how you feel it, but is the whole kind of neo grunge tag. Um, yeah. Is that something that you guys kind of embrace? Because I think like grunge is grunge. Like okay, I know there's like a, a almost like a new wave of it at the moment, but it's still grunge music so do you and and again i I don't obviously there are songs of yours that have that grunge element to it but again there's there's punk elements to your songs there's there's even pop elements to your songs so do do you hate kind of being well okay hate's a strong word but do, do you dislike being lumped with that label of grunge would you rather just kind of be tiger cub so to say um, yeah, like if, if someone wanted to describe us as that, I wouldn't blame them. Yeah. I'm never, like upset about it. But I definitely realised like everything that I thought was like really cool and really punk, like the whole grunge stuff and like Fugazi and you know, the whole 80s and 90s like punk scene basically, I thought it was really cool and I just like imitated it. Yeah. That was fucking, that was cool. And then I just re- I just saw there's just so many other bands doing that alongside us, and I just realised like fuck like punk rock is essentially like a conservative movement now. Mm. So obsessed with its past. <laughs> yeah. I just thought, like I just thought that's so. I just didn't. I don't like that. No. Just, you know we we're, we're fucking dead in the water if we don't like find our own identity here and just try and be a little bit more progressive. And yeah. Just, started to do that you know it, things started moving a bit quicker because like you can have like a single like we have this song called Blue Blood which is like fucking Nirvana worship yeah but it slams and it uses all of those three piece loud quiet loud big ass drums big snare those techniques which sound great and they work and like fucking Zane Lowe played it like every day every week on his show for like a whole month and people got well excited about it so you can't have like a flash in the pan like you know you can get a little bit of mileage out of that I would never like hate on anyone for you know using that formula because mm. it works it's cool you know but like it only gets you so far you know? <laughs> yeah like jo- Josh Holmes said something which I, which really resonated with me in, it, in the interview um, it might have been a Mark Maron podcast actually said I think it's really true he said if you stand in the shadows of giants you're always going to look small yeah I think that's that's so true you know and that, that's how I felt with our music like it's, it's cool like people like it they come to the shows and they jump around to it and they scream it back but it's essentially like living through the reflected glory of Nirvana yeah and it's, and it's just it's not really our legacy we're just like we're going like hey do you remember this wasn't that great let's like play dress up <laughs> yeah 
you know, small clone chorus pedals are cheap now, so let's let's all get some of that. You know? It's well, it's it's funny you kind of mention that because before I spoke to you this evening, I was actually interviewing a a band from uh, New York who have been going for oh, like since the eighties, kind of thing, and they've just kind of come back and they've um, done done a new record, and I kind of put the question to them about sort of uh obviously the longevity kind of question and they like their guitarist said that sort of as you kind of said like hard like even hardcore's kind of there's bands that kind of st- are stuck in the past and if you're always looking back then there's no point in creating new art so and i think in a way that kind of fits with you guys because again going back to what i said earlier i kind of view you as a as a crossover band to an extent similar to to royal blood like the yeah the, there's bands that okay they may not necessarily be everybody's cup of tea but they're pushing boundaries and for like for for you guys getting sort of mainstream radio airplay and obviously doing reading and leads like some people may view that as oh well that's not what punk or grunge is about but yeah at the end of the day i think music's music art is art so i don't know is, is that something that because i without this kind of sounding pretentious i find your music quite artistic in the way that it doesn't fit a mold so yeah is, is that the way that you kind of plan to work that's i'm really um that's kind of you to say and that's nice to hear that you like read the music in that way um yeah totally. i used to really worry about it because I, I i fucking love fugazi <laughs> yeah. you watch instrument and like there's a whole like interview they do with that like college kid where they say they don't sell t-shirts and they don't they don't do any interviews for any um companies that advertise cigarettes or alcohol or anything like that it's like fuck man that's just that's it's it's incredible yeah they they managed to operate a business model that can cut out all of the rotten and the rotten shit and the corporate shit in the music world and they can still sell records and like just sustain as a band mm. but I think like even though the music industry is in recovery now like we're all so fucked that like you just can't really it's it's diff- really fucking difficult to exist anyway with all the Radio 1 play and with the big shows and stuff and support tours like it's it's tough um and you know, for better or for worse, it's not necessarily necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Um, so I think I got to a point where, you know, we we gone on it. We were on our like fourteenth tour or something like that, and you, eventually you're just like, you know what? Like, what is fucking cool is like selling records and like getting your trying to get your art out to as many people as possible and trying to like find those people there they believe in the same things and you know it's like you kind of got to crack a few eggs to make an omelette so yeah that's where i say it some might argue why make an omelette in the first place <laughs> but as, i think it's a good time to obviously bring up the the new ep that's coming out because we've kind of mentioned obviously progression and things like that and from being kind enough to have a, a sneak preview of uh evolve or die it's yeah. for me it is the perfect progression from uh, abstract figures because I think again, even though it's only four tracks, it's pushing on from what Tiger Cub was to what Tiger Cub is, if that makes sense. Um, and I don't want to make this sound kind of cheesy, but the the title is perfect fitting. So was that kind of a thought process in that because you're writing? new music that is a little bit of a step away that this was the title that you wanted to pick yeah I had the title for it before we even had the track list and all this okay stuff. so we'd, we'd just done a bunch of tours and you know like as you, as you fucking do shit and you, you go on tours with bigger bands and you do your own tours and you just sort of get experience and you kind of get I kind of got a little glimpse of where we were as a band and you know what what it was gonna, what our trajectory would be. I've just, I've seen a couple of other bands that, have, you know, they've kind of tried to release the best version of the same album over and over again. Mm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but like, 
I just saw like it wasn't working for a lot of bands and like I say it's just it, it's quite a tough it, it's a it's a slog to like break a band in this day and age and like that's not me complaining like it should be hard yeah uh, and I'm not you know I'm not trying to be a baby about it or anything but I just thought you know what we need to just fucking pivot and take risks because it's a risk not to take a risk in this day and age yeah and also like we fucking love like hip hop and we were really big fans of Kendrick Lamar mm. and he just fucking you know he was just dropping records of like b-sides on like untitled and massive and stuff and it just seemed like he was changing his sound up every time and in like the rap game and the hip-hop game like that was where like that's where like punk was for me like all these people taking huge risks rolling the dice on releases like for better or for worse and i just thought you know that's what maybe that's what's wrong with like guitar music per se nowadays is it's just become this like this rose-tinted version of itself when in fact it was you know it's supposed to be quite risky and dangerous bloody bloody blah mm. but yeah i was like all right let's let's just go in let's go in with the mindset that we're gonna throw shit at the wall and we're gonna take blind risks and do shit that we don't know how to do yet like try and figure out what synthesizers are and how <laughs> yeah. an 808 drum machine and just sort of do it and it, it might be it'll be difficult and it might not the pieces might not fit together yet but we just we have to take a risk and I don't think anyone would have really given a fuck about the EP had it not have been called Evolve or Die and we made a big such a big thing about like we're fucking you know we're going to take a risk of changing our sound we're developing it I just thought it was a, it was a cool thing and also you know if we do it on an EP and everyone thinks it's terrible and they don't turn up to the shows anymore at least we haven't released a shit second half <laughs> yeah. so like claw it back if it all goes on its ass but I think it's kind of working out we can kind of gauge like what what sort of direction we want to take it in on the next record and you know after we've had a, a bit of time away from the writing process and the recording process which was quite intense because we did fit it in, we had like two weeks off between tours we'd like just come back from Europe and then we were going to go off on tour pull the pot by horses I think it was something like that and there was like two weeks in between and we like wrote and recorded it in those two weeks so we were like really fatigued and stuff and at the end of our tether and we smell really bad <laughs> blah 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 but we got it done and anyway like I was saying like we've got a bit of distance away from the record now and you know, you listen to it back and you're like, oh, this works and this doesn't. And it's just, it's quite a nice yardstick for the next record. Yeah. And obviously, the, it doesn't officially come out until the, the 29th, but obviously you've released a couple of tracks from it, um, one of which was obviously played on, on Radio 1 again. So, yeah. and obviously we, you've kind of mentioned it, it's taking a risk, it's stepping away from what Abstract Figures was. So w yeah. what's the kind of reaction been so thus far? Um, it's been like it's split our current fan base a little bit. Mm -hmm. A couple of people have been like, "This is shit." <laughs> but isn't that quite cool, though? Yeah, no, 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 I, t I totally agree. At least like it's having an impact, even if it's a, a negative one, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's been a little bit polarizing. Yeah, so yeah, people have said it's shit and I don't like it, and but people have said like I miss the old Tiger Cup, and I think that's fucking, that's that's cool, man. Yeah. Eras, um, you know, and it means that like people have like came out the woodwork a bit more, and we're like, oh shit, people actually do kind of care about this band, and they're they're like upset that we we fucked with it. Um, so there's been those people, and then there's been been other people that have been really into it, and like we sold out at the first pressing in like a day and the tour is selling really well so I think like a couple of our fans are like bombed with it but we've reached loads more people and like the band seems like it's the, the, the buzziest and the most popular it's ever been mm. so I don't know really it, it, it feels like it feels like a bit of a win yeah <laughs> But at the same time, you know, no, it's not for everyone. And no, it's, no. 
you know some of it is a bit weird and it's not like hooky it's we were just trying to get the sound right so i guess like maybe some of the songs didn't have the grueling attention that they were they normally get yeah and melodies and stuff it was more like let's just like let's try and find the aesthetic in like inverted commas you know mm. um so like i can definitely see how people would um you know take up issue with some of the songwriting not being like as um tight as it is as we made it on on the album but like it's it's the sound of a band that's been on tour yeah that you know did it less than six months after the record came out so i mean i'm still super proud of it like i'm not i'm not trying to make excuses for it or anything like that I just i kind of like being like pragmatic and real yeah you know, things like that and just try and like be objective about things you know just because it, it'll help me get better in the future you know it, that's what this ep is you know just, just trying to get it's like a stepping stone EP, you know yeah it's, it's the it's part of the journey to where we'll end up on the second record you know? yeah that, i hope i'm not rambling no 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 it's What I kind of wanted, I think it kind of fits in what you were saying with it kind of being a stepping stone. Because obviously, it's only four tracks, um, but I I feel like each track is completely different from each other. Like with going back to kind of abstract figures, that there kind of seem to be a bit of a flow, like sonically, in the way that obviously that it was a full length album and so on and so forth. But obviously, with the EP, it kind of sounds like four standalone tracks was that yeah. the, was that the kind of idea going in that you had these tracks written and that's the way that you wanted to do it or is is that just some, something that kind of came along in the in the writing process as that's the way it was turning out i did try and find find a flow with it but it's really difficult to do that with 15 minutes <laughs> i can imagine <laughs> I found it a lot easier to like think about how you know track four is going to make you feel after the three tracks that came before it. Yeah. And I guess because the EP was just such an experiment, I don't, I don't really have this like new sound and direction like totally under my fingers yet. Where with the first record we had like three years of fucking touring and writing constantly and that sort of style. I don't know. We 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 accomplished it so you can like really find the flow of the record and take sort of calculated risks with it whereas this EP was really uh, it's really risky and like a lot of the songs weren't like fully written when we went into the studio and stuff it was a real like leap of faith mm. um, so I think I think if I think it has a flow but yeah it's like it sounds like we're throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> and all of the songs are kind of like different routes we could go down. You know? Yeah. I think it's. I think that works for the EP though because it. It's like. Yeah, it's. It kind of keeps the the door open for options later down the line, I guess. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's it's different options later on down the line, and um. Oh, what's the word? It's it's sort of it's date stamped us at a time. And right. Yeah. No. I like, get. Yeah. It, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no. That's that's. Quite, I guess that's quite a cool way to kind of view it, really, because I guess I I don't know. I I feel more bands should kind of do sort of record EP record because 
I think, as you say, it kind of date stamps like where you're at at that time. And when you come to writing the second record, you can revisit it and say, okay, how can we either fine tune that or improve on this or drop that? It's, I get, I don't know. It's just a way that I I view music. It's a good way to kind of put put where you are at that time time and frame of mind, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. Um, I don't want to like undersell the EP. No, 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 not at all. Discography. The... <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm totally with you there, though. That, that's exactly how I feel, and that's that's how I saw it. I was like, let's fucking, you know, there's so many bands out there. Where I'm just like, oh, I wish they just release a fucking like noise rock EP or just like fucking fuck it all up and just like put the shits up everyone. You know, like old rock bands and stuff that are, like yeah, pretty well and. They're selling records, but they haven't broken. It's just like, oh man, just release a fucking grindcore album. <laughs> just like, shake, like just put the shits up everyone a bit, and you know, do just try and try and be exciting. Um, so yeah, it was it was difficult. It was difficult to like find the flow, and as a as a piece, as a body of work, it it was difficult to get that to fit, but. It's the the nature of the EP. Was, yeah. You know, was it it was an experiment, so I guess it like serves its own purpose as a piece. Mm. Uh, it is fucking disjointed and like <laughs> at different angles, you know. And a question I always like to ask, obviously like vocalists and stuff, but um, myself being one is something that what kind of inspires like lyrics and things. And I think a lot of time at the moment, people kind of taking in the surrounding world and, and that's kind of what's influencing their music um so with with evolve or die what was there any kind of themes that you had in your head going into into the recording process of what you wanted the lyrics to to purvey mm. um well yeah i mean i had the divided states of us for a while and that was this weird industrial experiment that i made as like a demo of like a bunch of drum machines and stuff and I was just like there was a lot of like protest music kicking around and everyone saying that Trump's a bastard yeah um and like it's fun to wade into that one <laughs> yeah the bandwagon but I just thought like I could probably there's some comment to be made just about how fucking split everyone is politically like there's no real like um with, with like the left and the right if you can even say that anymore it's just more of a spectrum but yeah it's like if you don't agree with someone's opinion like you want to fucking murder them they're they're worse than shit and they're tainted and stuff um and it's just it, everyone's just so polarized i just i wanted to i wanted to express that and just try and find my own sort of catharsis with that and yeah for the song um, so that was really its its own um, its own theme. It wasn't really uh, there was there's no thread. Yeah, yeah. He like that that was isolated just to that track and and the other songs. I don't know the things that make me tick is just the other songs are more about like I don't know like dealing with like the pragmatism of life and like you're just a biological thing mm. and I don't know I just like I was enjoying playing with like the just contrasting like your own emotions and your life and everything you think is important and pain your feelings and just putting that up against a kind of robotic pragmatic approach so like I don't know it's just like little vignettes on that really just musings and different you know finding lines that go together that sort of express shit that I find really hard to express in real life yeah you know? that, that's kind of what I think like art is is there for is to like express things that you, you can't put into words yeah no I, no I just I can't really can't explain to you what the songs are about but they're these kind of like 
I don't know, I'm grappling with my own life and what it means to be skin and bone. And yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's very cliched as well. You know, it, it's been covered a lot, but in a lot, of, in the other three, that's, that's something that I like to just sing about and just try and be quite blunt about things, but then actually talk about how I feel about things. I don't yeah. know, I it's a confused person. <laughs> no, I think I, I can kind of totally relate because um, if I give you a bit of information, like I I do vocals in like a kind of like a math quarry band, and oh, yeah. when, when I can sorry, what's your band called? Uh, the Divorcee. Oh, yeah, I'll check them out. And um, so, like, whenever I'm writing lyrics, it's, it's kind of the same kind of thing. Like, it's just yeah. how I feel about what's going on and as you say it's quite hard to kind of put into words but as soon as I've got a microphone in my hand I know exactly what I want to put out kind of thing so I, yeah. I, I always find it interesting to sort of speak to other other vocalists, vocalists and lyricists to see what their their kind of take on it is but um, yeah. I just want to kind of get back onto sort of what you mentioned earlier when obviously playing at Reading is that obviously the new material has different elements with it obviously it's a bit more electronic it's got synths in it different pedals and things like that so yeah. something that i found interesting is uh, i've got to admit unfortunately i haven't had the opportunity to actually see you guys live myself but i've watched like videos and things and the the transition from live to recording is one that i find very different and i don't mean that in a in a bad way at all but yeah. do you find that the maybe not in a negative way, but like your fan base who have listened to record, but then come see live and it's a completely different experience. Yeah. Do you think that is enhancing the Tiger Cup experience or do you kind of treat it as this is how we do it recorded, this is how we do it live? Um, yeah, I, that's a good question really. I guess, I can't really speak on behalf of anyone that comes to see it. I'm, <laughs> yeah. sure, there are, I'm sure there are people that come and they're like bummed out that it's not like, doesn't sound exactly like the record. I'd like to think that we like refine the songs to a point where this, the songs themselves can hold up with, with or without arrangement. Yeah. Um, but I feel like. I think what I think is good about the Tiger Cup live show is it's I feel like it's it's heavy. Yeah. It's, it's quite it can be quite brutal. And um I remember I went to see Mac DeMarco live and you know, his his stuff is all like it's just jazzy, soft, summery, you know shit and, <laughs> and um, I saw him live and it sounded, it sounded like a fucking punk band and the songs were great and it was like kind of heavy live just because you know when you play a venue and you mic a fucking drum kit up the default drum sound is like pretty slammy yeah with big snare and stuff and like jazzy feely drums it's hard to make that work live it's live is still a bit rudimentary you know yeah so I can't make that, that you know, it's just a, it's more of a, if your songs can hold up with, with or without the arrangements or the, 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 uh, the exact fucking tones or whatever or different bits you have from the record, that's a good thing. And I, I think people allow for that as well. Like people know that, you know, you can't run a full like Pro Tools plugin. <laughs> yeah. You can't run like Outboard and shit. I mean bands with money do that but we, we just try and like get by with just letting the songs come through and just like trying to get our own personal performances just as solid as possible mm. um, and I think I think playing live it is a chance for you to like reinterpret your back catalogue yeah people that have came to see you as well you know I mean there's, there's loads of things that affect it um, you know if you, if you have enough cash uh, if you can get enough, uh, you can court high high enough fees. You can like run crew, and you can you can like invest more into the show, and you can bring you can bring out 
a bit of our board and I know bands that do that and they run a little bit of track and they blend it in and like they kill it live because of that yeah rise a lot quicker so there are like there can be financial constraints with that as well so I guess we try and combat anything with that by just trying to get it as as tight as we possibly can and just to try and like reinterpret it if we can and find a new sort of slant on it Mm. which usually is just brutally heavy (laughs) yeah which which isn't a bad thing at all yeah yeah totally um and obviously earlier on you mentioned you guys kind of going out with with the royal blood guys and i think that brought a lot of eyes on you in the first place but again you've toured with sort of other bigger bands you've uh, done obviously the port apart by horses tour but you've also done tours off your own back so how do do the kind of support tours compare to the to the headline tours like obviously i know i think if you take royal blood it's a completely different beast but have you found that once you've kind of done maybe a support tour that those fans are then coming to your headline tours or are the bat or the the fans that come into your headline tours are they a very different kind of audience um i th- i really love being a support band yeah uh, there's a lot less there's a lot less pressure in the <laughs> yeah i can imagine um, and winning people over is just something you kind of we kind of try to get used to that we just have to try and get you know, if we can get 10% of the crowd, 20% of the crowd to like buy merch or come up and talk to us after the show and say they enjoyed it, that that would be a win. But there really is nothing like being the headliner now. And like after a while, I was, after we did a couple of headline shows and a couple of headline tours, because um, that's one thing our agent said to us as soon as he started working with us. He's just like, you know, let's let's not support so much anymore, guys. Let's fucking get you out on the road. And like, yeah. You need, you need to be a headline band. Um, and then like once I got a little taste of that and people showing up and their hands are shaking when they meet you and stuff and they came to see you and it's like your fucking show and that feels good you know and when yeah like we, we, we don't like sell out venues or anything but you know we we can do like a hundred tickets here and there in, in different um, places up and down the country and, and it really feels good for it to be your own show and the venues like your chance to you can try and make it like your world that people are coming into, like mm. in a pretty crude way, but like with a merch desk and different bits and bobs, and it, it's quite nice. Because um, you know, when you're a support band, you are just you're the fucking openness. You know, they didn't. Most people haven't paid to come and see you. Yeah. And like the bigger the band that you support, the more you feel that, the more pro it gets. Yeah. So, when we did two shows with Royal Blood in June this year in Europe and um, like absolutely no disrespect to Royal Blood or anything like that or the crowd um, I thought they were they were fantastic and I was really pleased that so many people paid attention to us and bought merch and stuff but you can really feel it when you get into those bigger rooms um, that are fucking sold out and they don't really need a support band Royal Blood are just like they like our band enough to just have us out to shows and try and help us and hang out with us or whatever. But yeah, you do kind of feel it. You're just like, fucking hell, like these these people really they they don't really give a fuck about the sport. They want to blood, you know. Which is, of course, they do, you know. But you just you do kind of feel it a little bit more the big shows. So yeah. I definitely want to. I want. I prefer a headline these days, you know. Now yeah. that we actually ship tickets. Mm. And. Again, something you mentioned when we first started this this little chat is obviously you guys kind of been on the road quite constantly. That you've obviously done the EP whilst sort of in between a very short break. But yeah. so so do you guys like to keep yourselves busy and and, and active? Because obviously, I think some bands they they do a tour, they have a break, they write a record, they do a tour, they have a break, they write a record, so on and so forth. But yeah. some people like yourself, it from the outsider looking in it's like oh they're constantly doing things so is that just the way that you guys work that even on the road you're you're writing stuff and then when you're you're writing stuff you want to be back on the road is is that just how you work uh yeah yeah i mean we've just supported so many bands 
and like learn so many things from people that have had music careers you know they've actually had a career they've they've had 10 years of not having to work a normal job you know and they can sustain and what I learned pretty quickly from touring with bands like uh, Blood Red Shoes and stuff and like Dinosaur Pile Up and even Pulled Apart is like they just fucking grafted their bollocks off in the, in the early years and just like did everything released as much as they could it's like get better yeah but like a major comes along you've got money and you've got like you have that infrastructure where they can they can pretty accurately plan out your next tw- like 24 months as a band then then you've got I guess maybe you've got the luxury of being able to like lay low and have all your ducks lined up in a row but for a band like Tiger Cup which is very much like a, a DIY we're on an indie label we're not like you know we're not going to be like the Beatles or anything like <laughs> low burn bands I think it's just good for us to tour as much as we can write as much as we can and just get better you know because we do need to get better and we do need to improve and we there's I always think there's more work to be done with the live show and songwriting and everything and the way I think we should get there is to just always have goals always have the next six months planned and just like it's hand to hand combat you know I just want to go and like if I can shake 20,000 people's hands and say thanks for coming to the show and I can get them to come back to fucking say hi again and watch the show then you know if that's what it takes and you just campaign it you know that's a sure way of of getting there you know and, and achieving it because like I'm in way too deep now to ever do anything else <laughs> yeah it's kind of fucking slug it on the road but it, it, it is like a it's a thing that I've seen a lot of bands that are big now like legitimately big as well not 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 like a band that gets loads of press like a band that gets you know bands like Blood Red Shoes you don't get a lot of press but they you know they can go to Berlin and do 3,000 tickets yeah at the drop of a hat you know like it's real numbers it's real fan base you know and they don't have to rely on like gatekeepers or anything like that they can just they can just function as a band and I, I really look up to them for that because mm. they've been they've been smart about it and they've, they've just worked hard you know and I, I see that personally as it was a really good way to just definitely do it you know you don't have to rely on anyone else to you don't have to rely on a a man or a woman in a suit coming coming up to you after a, a gig saying I'm going to make you a star and yeah <laughs> I don't know whether it exists these days. I don't know whether there's a fucking business model enough in it, you know, to be able to do it unless you're like someone like Mike and Ben from Royal Blood who get a really big deal. Or my mate Matty who's got a big deal from Parlophone. Like, those deals do exist. Yeah. But they only get given to a handful of people. Yeah, yeah. It's like a once in the blue moon kind of thing. Yeah, so I just reckon... Stop me if I'm repeating myself. I'll bend your ear all. No, day. no, it's fine, man. You, you go ahead. It's just a way of like having a bit of control over your own destiny, you know. Just touring and just keeping yourself busy. I just think it's, I like Tiger Cup to operate that way. Yeah. yeah. And on the case of obviously keeping busy, obviously you said you've kind of got September off, but obviously heading straight back out in in October. So, are there any kind of cities that you're really looking forward to to hitting this time round? Um, fuck yeah man, I'm really looking forward to going back to Newcastle um, because we ship tickets there and obviously I'm from Sunderland as well so it's yeah. nice to go home for a little bit um, know, there's just so many great cities in the UK there's so many places I love being and so many friends I've got all around the UK I, I don't have like a particular favour or anything. I love going to Manchester. Like Norwich is rad. Um I always used to think Norwich was a bit funny because of college but <laughs> I love that that's everyone's thing. It's just the the only reason of thinking of Norwich as Alan Partridge is brilliant. It's probably stuck, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. But it's a great place. It's really there's a lot of like natural beauty there and stuff. And we're going up to Edinburgh for the first time. I've never been to Edinburgh before. We usually play Glasgow. Um we're going to play Huddersfield, which is... Like, okay. It's in between, like, Leeds and somewhere else. It's 
it's uh, it's not a city. Yeah, um, yeah. And we played places like Doncaster before, and Scunthorpe, and Wakefield, and had very, very poor results. So I don't know whether that one's going to be busy or not. It's hard to tell sometimes. You can do like really round shows to places that don't normally get uh, a lot of bands coming through. But yeah, I'm just I'm really excited to get back on the road. You know, like the ticket tickets are moving pretty quickly for this one, so it's it's we've never really had that before, like doing this many pre-sales mm. of a tour. So I'm just I'm really fucking excited to go and <laughs> play again. You know? Perfect. Um. I'm going to start bringing it to, to an end now, Jamie. But how how I like to end these little chats is um, to ask you what your favourite Tiger Cub song is, but put a little twist on it. So rather than just your favourite song that you've written, what is your favourite Tiger Cub song that you play live? Yeah, go for it. I really like playing antiseptic live. Yeah. Because it's really easy to play. <laughs> and so you can like you can enjoy it a bit more and like people tend to fucking love that one when we play it. So it's like a bit of an easy sell for people. Yeah. And also pictures of you as well. Um, just because people people again tend to really like that one when they come to our gigs and they like sing the words and stuff. There's a bit at the start that's really quiet where I'm just singing on my guitar and it's just like it's a really amazing feeling to have you know a room of like two three hundred people or whatever if you're doing if you're doing a show in London or something just like singing it with you and yeah you're all singing together and you're all happy and stuff and it's just that that's such an amazing feeling but that one's really hard to play so because I have to fucking like finger pick and stuff <laughs> yeah. I have to fuck it up so. you wrote the song so yeah, it's my fault. <laughs> Perfect. Jamie, thank you very much for, for taking your time. Um, best of luck with the EP when it comes out. And I'm I'm going to hopefully get to your Southampton show in, in October as well. So re- right. really looking forward to seeing you guys out then. Yeah, yeah definitely get your guests if you want to come to that. Awesome. Yeah, man, that'd be sick. Nice to speak to you. Perfect. Cheers, Jamie. Take care. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So there we have it folks massive thanks again to Jamie for joining me and it was really cool to to get into the band and how they're kind of looking to progress how they're looking to move forward um and yeah I think Tiger Cub have got a really interesting story so if as I said at the beginning if you're unaware of them go check them out uh, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with what they've got to to offer and put on the plate um their EP uh, Evolve or Die is out now um so please go check that out it's on Spotify iTunes all the the usual outlets um as I mentioned at the beginning as well, Tiger Cub will be heading out on a headline tour in support of the EP. Um, it kicks off on October 16th at the Joiners in Southampton um, and rolls all the way through to October 27th where it finishes in Norwich. Uh, for a full list of dates and details um, and just to keep up with the band in general, head over to facebook.com forward slash Tiger Cub Tiger Cub. Um, you can also follow them on Twitter. It's at underscore Tiger Cub and then on Instagram it's Tiger Cub Tiger Cub all one word. Um, as promised we have a return of the film section this week not that I don't know if you guys care but I'd like to do it it shows as I mentioned previously when I wanted to do this it's an outlet for me to to get my loves and passions out there as I said I like wrestling talk about wrestling a lot I like music and I'm a writer hence the introduction introduction interviews um and obviously the the third element of my introduction is film, so this is why I've brought this in. But um, the main reason I wanted to bring it back this week is obviously, as I mentioned, went and saw uh, Darren, Ar- Darren Aronofsky's, sorry, apologies, uh, mother. So we're going to discuss that. So, But first of all, here's the trailer of the film. We spend all our time here. I want to make a paradise. She redid all of it. Every last detail. And she breathed life back into every room. Are you happy? 
I love you. Please, come in. Hello. Hello. He's a stranger. We're just gonna let him sleep in our house. Hello. Hello. Did you know he had a wife? doing in their luggage. What do they want? God help you. They've come here to see me. Come quick! New people, new ideas. I'm so sorry. Get out of my house! You give and you give and you give. It's just never enough. So right off the bat, when this was announced, I was super excited. A massive fan of um, Aronofsky's work. Obviously, Requiem for a Dream, Dead Swan, both incredible films. Um, never got a chance to sort see Noah, but from what it was read about this film, it was kind of a return to form for him, and it does not disappoint. Um, it's intense. It's a real head-scratcher. It's shocking in places. Um, Jennifer Lawrence is really good in this. Like... I like Jennifer Lawrence, but she kind of, uh, of recent, for me, has taken more quote-unquote Hollywood roles, which, fair play to her, she gets them, but I think she works better in these kind of darker roles, and it was nice to kind of see her back in this kind of thing. Um, the camera work was phenomenal. It, it doesn't pull focus from Lawrence at all, which is the whole kind of premise of the film. It's really good. Um, it's hard to, not, to go too much into the narrative with giving too much away but basically Jennifer Lawrence's character uh, is married to the character who is played by Javier Bardem um, there's kind of like a struggle within the relationship um, it's clear that Lawrence's character is infatuated with Bardem um, is completely in love with him but it doesn't seem like that love is completely mutual um, out of nowhere all of a sudden these people come to their house um, and with the more introduction of more people it's like Lawrence's character is being pushed and pushed further into the background and um, she's kept into the dark as to what's going on um, and you can kind of the a lot of the camera work is on Jennifer Lawrence's face and just the play of emotions on her face is really good and that's kind of what keeps things thrilling keeps the the, the pace of the movie really well it's, it's a it's a two-hour film but it doesn't feel like you're in there for that long at all but yeah I'm not going to go into too much more detail. Um, I'm going to do a little review over at justininsight.wordpress.com as well, so we'll go into a bit more detail of it there. But if you're into films that kind of keep you on the edge of your seat, keep you guessing, I really recommend going to see Mother. Um, it's Obviously, we saw it quite late, so I'm not sure how much longer it's going to be in the cinemas for. But, you know, DVD, Blu-ray turnaround these days, it's out pretty quick. So, yeah, just keep keep an eye out for that one. Um, the second film I'm going to discuss is a Studio Ghibli film called uh, The Red Turtle. Um, I won't play a trailer for this one because it's actually a silent film, so obviously that won't really enhance my point. Um, but basically the film is about this man who becomes stranded on a remote island um, and his attempts to get back onto civilization are thwarted by the Red Turtle. Um, once again, won't go into too much details because obviously it will give away the kind of plot but it's it's difficult because there isn't a a strict storyline to this and i think that's the beauty of it um it kind of tells tales of remorse tales of love tales of loss um but the whole film is just beautiful for for an animation which the animation is quite simplistic it's very well done and i think it's about, it's about an hour and 20 film um 
but it does keep you gripped. It, and I thought I thought I found this before with silent films. That there's something in the element of it that really keeps you glued to the screen. Um, and if you're a fan of of Ghibli films, you'll know there's always kind of an underlining sort of message to to what their films is trying to say. But with the Red Turtle, I think it leaves a lot more for a personal interpretation. And I think that's why this film got massive critical critical acclaim. Uh, it was up for animation for best Oscar. Nope. <laughs> Oscar for best animation. Um, so, and it's clear to kind of see why. Um, going to leave it there for for this week, folks. Um, we're back next week for another WWE roundtable discussion as we delve into uh, WWE Hell in a Cell. Um, as kind of recording this, kind of had a bit of a brainstorm. Um, as I mentioned before. Obviously, this is the first year of the podcast, kind of trial and error. Things have gone very well. Um, really grateful for all the support we've received. But kind of for next year, looking at doing things a little bit differently, going in a different avenue. And one of the things I thought was uh, kind of delving into old WWE pay-per-views. So um, if there's anyone out there that wants to discuss a particular pay-per-view with me, for as, as I say, we'll probably be starting this from December, going into January, so on and so forth. Um, but please give us a shout um, and follow us on Twitter at just underscore and underscore insight um, or as always drop us an email just underscore and underscore insight at hotmail.co.uk um, but yeah again th- folks thanks again for joining me on the Justin Insight podcast and I'll see you soon mm-hmm.